Hey y'all, this is your girl Lola Love. Welcome to season two of the Atypical Social Worker Podcast, hosted by, dare I say, your favorite social worker and sometimes socialite. Here to help you reimagine the social work platform while being dedicated to helping you stand tall in the field. Welcome back to another episode of the Atypical Social Worker Podcast, a podcast by social workers, for social workers, and other helping professionals. Hosted by your girl, Lola Love, the social worker and sometimes socialite, I hope you all had a great week and an even better weekend. And if this is your first time joining us, welcome to the family. So, you know, my quick banter for this episode is, so last night I had dinner with a colleague and oddly enough, this person was um, the professional who replaced me in my old position at the school I previously worked at. So as this date was approaching, I kind of was talking to a few family members and letting them know, hey, I got invited to this dinner. This is really interesting, but also pretty weird. And some of my family was just like, why are you meeting up with a person who has your old job? You have no sense of responsibility to that person. And why would you allow them to pick your brain? Like basically the game is to be sold, not told. And honestly, I thought about that for a minute. I was like, well, I'm not obligated. I don't work for this organization anymore. You know, I don't really know this person. So why do I feel so compelled to meet up with this person and to honor their wish to have dinner and I guess the short part of the story is or the short answer is just I truly believe in professional karma so I'm not sure if you ever noticed but in my community and maybe in your community I walk around and I see so many great organizations and business that are all focused on helping people but sometimes they become ineffective because the market is so saturated. And when you actually stop to look at these businesses and organizations, you realize that they are pretty much just like duplicating services. And although they have great missions and great focus and hope to do great things, imagine how much more effective they could be if they collaborated or network with one another and sort of enhance the services that are already existing. So what I'm just basically trying to say is networking is often an untapped liquid gold in our profession. Network with people, network with organizations, network with former colleagues, network with people who take your old position. There's nothing wrong with that. Like we should be open to sharing the resources and the knowledge that we have because ultimately it enhances the profession as a whole and it also gives back to the community. You know, sometimes we're so tunnel vision that we forget that sharing is truly caring and that sometimes the best way to share is just to simply network. Again, it helps the community as a whole. And if that's our goal as a helping professional, again, operative word being helping, we should also be willing to extend that help to other professionals within the field. So if you are like me, you might be thinking like, Lola, networking is forced interaction. I don't do that. It overwhelms me. I get nervous. My palms get sweaty. I blubber over my words and things like that. Trust me, I am completely the same way. As much as people may meet me and say, oh my gosh, like you seem so comfortable in front of an audience of people or you seem amazing with public speaking. 
Truth be told, I hate public speaking. I truly hate forced interaction. And every time I'm invited to a networking event, I'm like, as I'm getting dressed, deciding how I can express that I'm all of a sudden sick and that I can't go or I have a flat tire. But I realized that when I have followed through and gone to these events that, number one, I've met some amazing people. Um, Number two, I've often encountered people that I have met before in the field. And so that instantly makes me feel more comfortable. But ultimately, I always leave with new information. And that's information that I then can take back to the workplace or share with a family member or share with a friend. And it it has always like really serve the greater good of the situations that I've been in. So I truly encourage you to network and also realize that sometimes you have to reimagine what networking is. A lot of times we think networking is getting dressed up, being packed into some hotel lobby where they're serving cocktails and appetizers. But especially now in the age of COVID, networking honestly looks totally different. Networking is as simple as updating your status on social media, um, letting people know what organization you work for and some of the things that you focus on within your role. It can be sharing a resource on your social media. It can be honestly sharing just food for thought because sometimes some of the best social media for me is I'm scrolling through and I'm having sort of a rough day and then someone shares a point of perspective that I'm like, you know what? I've never considered that and this actually just changed like the direction of my day. Another great way to network socially um, or online is also through LinkedIn. LinkedIn, all you have to do is just connect with people because the algorithm pretty much lets you know people who are in your field, people who are in your vicinity, people you may want to naturally connect with, or maybe even people that you have seen before in different places and spaces and just never had the confidence to walk up to them or talk to them or anything like that. So although social media can take away the in-person social interaction of human beings, it can also help people who are a little less confident or a little more shy or unsure of what to say to still make a strong entrance. For me personally, I have always been better with expressing my thoughts um, in the form of written words. So a letter, a note, a poem, whatever. I always express myself better that way. Usually when I'm talking, I talk super fast. I feel like I stumble over my words. I get very nervous because I don't necessarily like attention or people like looking at me and things like that. But I find that when I'm connecting with someone on LinkedIn, I can literally just type them a message and say, hey, I've actually, you know, not in a creepy way, but been watching you and some of the work that you've been doing. And I truly admire what you're doing in the field. And I would love an opportunity to, you know, connect with you. I can honestly say over the past few months, especially, I have been able to connect with so many people through social media that it's been, it's been amazing. Like I recently just spoke to someone who was in Oakland, California, and they found me through social media. I did not know this person ahead of time, but we had an amazing conversation. She's an amazing professional in the field doing some amazing things. And we'll actually be interviewing her in a few weeks. So stay tuned for that. But ultimately, I say all this just to say, network. Push yourself outside of your comfort zone. 
you never know the person that you may decide to network with could be the person interviewing you one day or the person letting you know about a job opportunity that you would deem your dream job. So if you kind of keep all of your energy and resources and thoughts bottled up, no one really knows like your identity as a professional. No one knows what you may aspire to do or where you aspire to go professionally. But if you start to open up and just share those things, trust me, you will be amazed at how many people are willing to help. And again, I truly believe in professional karma. So if you have connections, if you have resources to share, don't be shy about pushing that out into the professional community as well, because you never know who you inspire. So with that being said, good vibes only. And let's jump into this conversation for the week. There goes my favorite sound of the week. Class is officially in session. Hey, everybody. I'm sitting here with this week's feature, Ms. Kendra Brim. Say what's up, Kendra. Hey, everyone. Hi. So I'm so excited to have you here as this week's feature. Um, to get started, I like to play a little icebreaker to get you loosened up. It's called 21 Questions. This is a game where I go first and you go second. I will list some random items and you'll give me your preference of whatever the two items are. Um, for those of you listening, feel free to play along. Connect with us on Instagram each Thursday because we reenact the 21 segment through our IG story. So let's go. Kendra, are you ready? I'm ready. Okay, cool. So this week's category is sports. And I don't know a lot about sports, so this is going to be... <laughs> really weird and interesting (laughs) okay so first one basketball or football basketball is there a reason you have like a preference over basketball or you just like basketball oh I love basketball and I played basketball my whole life so basketball over football for sure (laughs) Nike or Reebok Nike everyone says I'm a Nike walking ad so Nike okay so say you're going to the gym are you rocking a hoodie or like a dry fit quarter zip? Uh, definitely a hoodie, especially now because it's hoodie season. So, yep, hoodie all the way. Yeah, I like hoodies too. The dry fits, they, I don't know, they make my skin feel weird. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a sensory person. I don't, I don't really like those things. Um, Steph Curry or LeBron James? Ooh, that's a tough one. I know everyone's going to say probably LeBron, but I'm going to say Steph Curry. Oh, interesting, especially considering, you know, the, the NBA uh, playoffs and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, I'm, I don't know. I just, I like Steph Curry. I mean, I think because everyone loves LeBron James, I'm just going to go with the opposite. But I do respect LeBron for sure. But Steph Curry. Gatorade or vitamin water? Ugh, Gatorade. Who drinks vitamin water? <laughs> Gatorade. <laughs> I, I used to love some of the weird flavors they had. They had like this pomegranate um or ici berry oh, and stuff yeah. like that like those are good yeah no gatorade um, but gatorade zero though that's what i drink get, oh is that like zero yep sugar? Mm-hmm. okay naomi osaka or serena williams oh that's a good one i'm gonna go with the og over here serena just because i don't know she's been in the game for a while she's definitely uh you know an icon in the sports game so i'm, I'm gonna go with serena Okay, okay. I mean, I 
So I'm very impressed by Naomi, yes. Naomi Osaka. Um, like she's amazing, and I think it just showcases how, like, a previous athlete can come in and kind of set the stage, the representation mm-hmm. to like make and pave the way for someone else. Right. But I just, I overall love, uh, love Serena's like swag. Yes. I love that she is like down enough to be in a Beyonce video twerking, <laughs> right? And then will <laughs> be on the stage doing something else, you know, doing her thing. Right. So I, I like that about mm-hmm. her. <laughs> Okay, so in a best dress competition, who would win? Dwayne Wade or Dwight Howard? Ooh, um, I would say probably Dwayne Wade, just because, I don't know. That's a hard one. I would say Dwayne Wade, just because I like Dwayne. But they're both, I mean, trendsetters, always changing up their hair. I think I just saw Dwayne dye his hair red one day, blonde another. But um, I'm going to go with Dwayne Wade. Yeah, I was going to say, Gabby got him out here, um doing big things yes. style. like she's like we, we about to do this Power yes I'm pretty sure they're gonna have a clothing line sooner than later and I mean so Gabrielle Union she has right. what is it a New York and company right um, but I think it would be dope to do like a male version of mm-hmm. that because they do have like a business casual yet like playful exactly it's probably up next 2021 goals I know big, definitely gotta make those coins mm-hmm. on the side <laughs> Okay, so in other news, let's get down to the real reason why you're here today. Um, Let's definitely talk about um, some things that you're doing out in the community and um, beyond. And all right, so first question, just tell us a little bit about yourself, like your educational background, um, you know, family, hometown type Mm -hmm. stuff, or a little bit about your professional background. Right, so um, born and raised in Buffalo. Um, and then I went to college at Colgate University where I played basketball all four years. And like I said, in the beginning of the podcast, um, you know, sports was really my thing, basketball preferably. And then after college, I didn't know if I wanted to come back to Buffalo just because, um, for people who don't know, Buffalo was, you know, kind of a city that was a little bit dead, um, and didn't really have much going on. But around 2011, 2012, when I got out of college, it was experienced this resurgence and I wanted to be a part of that. And every time I kept saying, I'm leaving Buffalo, I'm leaving Buffalo, something kept pulling me back into this, into the city. And I know that's a a lot of um, experiences in the stories of a lot of young professionals. And so for me, um, I decided to get involved um, in the community. So first and foremost, I went back to school. I got my, my master's from UB and I know Shantae, you went to UB too, right? Yeah, you went to UB. Yep, sure did. So, you know, um, <laughs> came a bull for a little bit. But then, um, so I went back and got my MBA at UB, but I really started getting involved in the community, starting with the Buffalo Urban League and Professionals back in 2015. I didn't know exactly how to get involved, but I knew I wanted to get involved. And so from there, I started doing a lot of community service events. And then shortly after that, I became um, their events planning chair, and then the vice president, and then the president for two years, which that very, you know, that fast tracked me into really getting involved in the community. And then from there, it was really, you know, making sure that other young professionals had um, a space, a safe space in our community. Um, our voices should be just as loud and heard as anyone else. Um, and so that was really Absolutely. important for me to make sure that people knew who we were and that, you know, we are part of Buffalo. 
Um, and so that was really my, my goal when I was the president. And then also to focusing on volunteerism, philanthropy, advocacy work. And so a lot of that is what fuels my energy today to keep going um, and really being, in, for me, permeating into majority white spaces um, because that's very hard to do. Um, but I make sure that, you know, that's something that we need to do as a collective community. So. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's definitely what's up. Like, so, you know, in talking about permeating, like, white spaces, um, especially, you know, um, now um, more than ever. But so, like, what overall, like, was there an aha moment in your life that made you, like, very much interested in diversity and equity work? Um, I don't know if it was an aha moment, I think. So, for me, it was more so of I was I was doing this a lot. I was, I was into more, I would say, um equity type work not necessarily diversity because I always say you know people may say okay majority black and majority white that's not when you're putting yourself into separate spaces that's not diversity either and so Mm -hmm. um, I was always doing a lot of um, work working with underserved and underrepresented populations and then the past year I remember 2019 I said you know I'm making it a priority to network with other people that don't necessarily look like me because it's easy to obviously stay in your same space so I guess my aha moment was last year in December um and then I didn't know exactly how I was going to do I just said you know I'm gonna go to different networking events or whatever and then the pandemic hit so we weren't able to necessarily do that and then all the networking just stopped. But I will say probably the catalyst was when I saw George Floyd and when we mm. and when we saw basically a man being um, lynched on a public platform. And so for me, I said, I can't right. sit back. I can't not do anything. I have to do something. Again, I just didn't know what. And so from there, we did a lot of, um, you know, I was talking to my friends, figuring out what I wanted to do. And it just happened naturally. I started, um, you know, started working with some of my friends in terms of um, consulting, started doing some consulting on my own for diversity, equity and inclusion. And then now recently um, just completely switched uh, jobs and careers. I would say it's definitely a career change. I was a project manager at a healthcare company and now I work in education as a director of diversity, inclusion and opportunity. So it, it just really, you know, I think the catalyst was seeing what we all saw play out on a national platform, I would say. Yeah, I can, I can definitely agree with that because like even like even being a social worker, it's like you're constantly in this space where you're advocating for the underserved and the underrepresented and things like that. But then every so once in a while, unfortunately, you know, an event mm-hmm. happens um, and it just kind of recharges like your energy and you're just like, wait, like, you know, have I drifted? Like, at least for me, sometimes I reflect on like, have I drifted like far away from what I should be doing as a social worker? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, like, do I just work in a different realm? And then, but if I'm interested in this other thing, like, how do I, like, shift back? Because, I mean, the reality of it is you can't be everything right. to everybody and you can't be everywhere all the time. Um, and I, I think as uh, Black professionals, sometimes you can get overwhelmed right. by that. Like, you get fatigued because you feel like you have to be everywhere all the time. You have to kind of know everything about everything so that you can blend in you know so in white true. spaces mm-hmm. um but then also be like down mm-hmm. you know what i'm saying like so to speak when you are amongst like other people of color like you, right. you know what i'm saying like it's it's an interesting balance it is Very and i was reading something recently i mean we go back to 
just things that we read when we were in high school and W.E.B. Du Bois and talking about double consciousness and how we always have to slip back and forth into these spaces and it does cause for fatigue you know um because it's also too you're trying to figure out your total identity but for me it's like I am who I am and it's either you take it or you leave it but I didn't come to that realization until I would say the probably the past couple years um but you're right you know you you mental health is important I know we'll talk about that but mental health is very important and you can't be everything to everyone you just can't yeah you you definitely can't so okay so on a, along the same lines so with everything that's going on in our country you know from like you mentioned before like horrific events that have been recorded on camera you know to the process that have you know resulted um unfair court rulings that we've seen recently you know our country is really in a state of turmoil um due to racial injustice you know however um we're still a very consumerist country Mm -hmm. at the core right so a lot of things that um have been going on have definitely sparked public attention but they've also sparked the attention of corporations so how do you feel about the current trend of like big brands like the NBA, Nike, and really damn near every company in the U.S. rushing to publicize their diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts? So right after we had witnessed um, George Floyd and his death, um, and so many other people, Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, everyone rushed to make a statement of Black Lives Matter. Um, and so we talk about this all the time. Is it just lip service? Right. Some uh, businesses who decided not to say anything at all. And there were a lot of businesses, like you said, Nike and things like that, who um, had a statement. They made Juneteenth a holiday for their employees. Um, You know, they did so many other things. But now I think that the world is kind of, quote unquote, opening back up again. People are worried about, you know, their kids going back to school. There's so many other things to think about. That you have to really look at to see what companies are really not just that lip service. Service. What are they truly doing? What are they? Are they having? Mm-hmm. Um, are they evaluating their policies and procedures? Are they looking at their culture? All of these things. And let's take the NBA for example. The NBA decided that many of their arenas, since they're empty, are going to be polling places. And so we all know, get out the vote. Like we have to go out and vote because what we're seeing is a direct result of our current administration and so you see so many people and so many companies especially the nba opening up their doors and facilities for um as voting polls we see that a company like old navy old navy they actually are paying their employees to be um to be poll workers and so on top of them getting you know their their salary at old navy they're also working and getting um, a day's worth of salary working at the polls through Old Navy. So there's so many different things that are going on. But then there's some other companies who said, you know, said something and then there's nothing. You know, nothing has changed whatsoever. Um, And so we have to really evaluate as a a consumer, who are we going to support? Are, Are we going to support what I feel? I'm a big advocate of that. If like, for example, you know, H&M a few years ago put out a picture of a boy um, who was advertising their sweatshirt and had a monkey on it. We look at um, Urban Outfitters. They had a sweatshirt that they were selling that was commemorating, quote unquote, commemorating 
uh, the Kent State shootings um, years ago. And so for me, I'm really big mm-hmm. on voting with my feet. And it may be a few dollars that I spend with them every year, but at least I know that my dollars aren't going to a company that's supporting foolishness, essentially. Um, so I think that, you know, right now we really have to evaluate whether a company is changing their culture. Are they changing their policies and procedures? And if not, we either hold them accountable or we walk away. Um, I mean, that, I mean, well said, because really, I think a lot of times um, we as a community forget that the biggest way to impact or shift the narrative or shift the direction a company is going in is by not spending our dollars. Like at the end of the day, you know, um, again, this is a consumer society. So really like our choice to spend or not spend especially because the black dollar Mm -hmm. is just so powerful in this country. And we don't stop to think about that. Sometimes we just kind of like, Oh, you know, this is my everyday mundane shopping. I don't really think anything about it. We, you know, set trends with the footwear that we wear, Mm -hmm. the clothes that we wear, the way we wear our hair. And so we spin, spin, spin. We definitely are a big part of that consumerist chain. But again, when it comes to like, really knowing what's going on behind these brands and making sure that you know we are consciously spending our dollar unfortunately sometimes our community mm-hmm. does fall a little mm-hmm. bit short in that area and we don't realize that we're negatively impacting ourselves so right you know it is definitely is important to like right you know and i know as a community really we're really big on cancel culture hashtag cancel culture but for me i see that only lasts maybe a few months i know like a few years or a few months ago um, a lot of people were saying Starbucks is canceled, um, but a lot of people still go to Starbucks. So, um, again, I think as a community, as a collective, like you said, our dollars um, are powerful. And so we have to decide, you know, where we're going to spend our money. So you mentioned a little bit earlier that um, you just made a shift into education. So like currently you serve as basically like the inaugural um, director of diversity, equity, inclusion Mm -hmm. at a local private school. So like, how did that, how did that opportunity come about and how has that experience been? Right. So I was doing some consulting work uh, with the school um, this summer um, in terms of evaluating everything from, again, like I said, culture, policy and procedures. um, And just really making sure that the space was equitable for all students and that includes black brown white students asian native american for everyone um and so i started doing consulting work and then from there the school realized well we need someone to do this full time and so i assisted in developing the job um and then working in healthcare. i never thought i would make that switch but again you know when you speak something into existence and you put something in the atmosphere and say i need to make a change you don't know where that change is going to come from or that opportunity. And so I wrote the job description um, and then working with the president of the school, she said, well, would you, are you willing to, to take the, the position um, and interview for it? And I said, well, I never thought about it, but sure. So I interviewed for it. And then a few weeks later, they offered me the position. And so now I have the inaugural position and I was able to name it diversity, inclusion, and opportunity director. And it was really important for me to add the opportunity piece mm. um, because we need to make sure that this is a um, 
a, a, a space where everyone has opportunities to prevail. And that means, you know, again, evaluating the culture. I'm really big on culture. Um, and everyone may not have the same opportunities outside of the school, but while we're in the school, we want to make sure that everyone has opp- opportunity to go on and whether they're going to school or not, you know, going to college or not, they have the same opportunities presented to themselves, to, to all the students. That's awesome. I'm so happy. Um, I think it's really interesting what you said about adding the opportunity piece. Um, and also like just that word opportunity is one that is broad enough to where, you know, hopefully it always challenges the school. And like, you know, if there's a day where you leave that position and someone else is serving in that position where they're always reflective about who needs right. the opportunity right now, because that changes, you know, um, and sometimes like you mentioned before, we get so caught up that diversity is only black and white and it's not. Diversity is so much more than that. Inclusion Mm -hmm. is so much more than that. And if we're constantly looking again to see who needs that opportunity, like what is going on in our natural culture right now that is that is shifting and leaving certain groups out like we we have to be reflective right. about that so right and then like dope. you that's know for dope. example with the opportunity piece we have you know in the school you you have so many extracurricular activities and everyone doesn't have the op- same opportunities to have those those same experiences and so if we have to find money for a kid to play a sport because it costs five hundred dollars a year let's find that opportunity um you know if there's an opportunity opportunity for a kid to go to school to go to college and they ne- may not necessarily have the money let's find that opportunity no matter who you are so that was really important for me to add that in there so shifting a little bit um so in the nasw code of ethics uh, which is made for social workers we have an ethical principle um, where social workers are to challenge social injustice although you may not be a social worker you are still in a helping profession Um, and a helping professional. So how do you feel your role will challenge social injustice either at the school or on a larger level? So I think it's already challenging social injustice. The fact that the position is there um, and that it is a very highly visible position, I think that we're already challenging injustices um, within the school, whether it is from, um, again, looking at a student's social economic status, um, whether it's looking at a student's uh, race or ethnicity, we're already challenging those um, those injustices from a more global perspective. Um, you know, looking at students, but these students go out into the real world, and so are we preparing them for? Um, you know, are we preparing them for further learning when it comes to critical thinking, cognitive skills? All of this stuff um, affects diversity. So if you have diversity in the schools, you have inclusion. And if you're looking at making sure you have equitable practices, these students will make sure that in the future that they're looking at it from more of an inclusive lens and ultimately challenging social injustice. So I always say start with our kids, start with our high school kids, start with even before, um, because that's who you want, you know, who you're molding and shaping today. That's who's going to have change and influence our future. So, yeah. I mean, that's that's definitely true. Very true. Like, kids yes, literally yes. are the future. <laughs> so, okay. So, you mentioned, like, visibility of the role, right? So, just a little bit of my own, like, professional experience. A lot of times where I see organizations and institutions go wrong is that when they, when they seek to develop these roles um, for diversity, equity, inclusion, they don't really know 
where to position these these roles. And sometimes where you position a role like this on your organizational structure can help or hinder the person in that role and just the general platform. So do you feel that in systems of education, um, and you can think about like the institution that you work for or just other institutions, um, do you think it's important that DEI officers um, have a level of autonomy and with that autonomy, do you think that they should report like directly to the president or the CEO or should they be housed in like an HR department or another? So branch? when we look at so this role of diversity inclusion officer for most organizations are new. Um, and what I am seeing is that a lot of um, organizations are putting this uh this, this role within HR. And I don't believe that's necessarily um, something that they should be doing because when you're looking at the DEI role, you're looking at um, not only corporate social responsibility, but you're also looking at marketing communications. You're looking at procurement practices um, within policies and procedure, procedures. One thing that I'm really making sure that I do is that when we're doing trainings, we're producing um, RFPs to make sure that we're having um, more so of a diverse, um, taking things from a diverse lens, but also having people from all types of backgrounds and not just who we all know personally. Um, you're also looking at, you know, inclusive research and designs as well as governance. Um, so there's so many things that from a DI perspective does not fall underneath HR. Um, and so for that, we have to make sure that it is in a highly visible area. The position that I have reports directly to um, the president and then the president reports to the board. Um, also, too, I'm a part of those board conversations. So I'm at the board meetings. I'm giving presentations. Um, you know, they want to know the voices mm. of the students. What are the what are the students saying? What are the students doing? How do they feel about this new role? They want to know directly from me. Um, how this role really fits into the school and the community. And so if you pigeonhole this into an HR role, you're not really going to, um, you're only going to tell part of the story. And so, um, you know, I, I do encourage people who have a DEI role to not put it under HR and to give it um, the credit that it deserves and put it in a more highly visible area, um, like, you know, the, the C-suite level or the president's office. I mean, that's definitely very well said. I definitely echo all of that. Um, because like you said, like, if you truly are trying to make a culture shift, you have to understand that it is not just mm -hmm. in your hiring practices. Like a culture shift goes so far beyond that. And like you said, if you pigeonhole a role like that in HR, yes, it may help to diversify and change a little bit of the hiring practices, but ultimately there isn't, a, you know, it's not touching on marketing. It's not touching on policies and procedures. Um, and sometimes it, it won't even make it right. up to the board, like to permeate with those decisions and stuff. So that's awesome. Like, that's definitely, I totally like agree with everything that you said. I think also another thing that is important for organizations to remember is that with any effort or any shift that you are taking seriously, you right. have to kind of put your money where your mouth is. So there has to be a realistic budget for, um, mm -hmm. for a person in the role, but also for the work that they're supposed to do. So if some of the work is programming, then you have to make sure you have programming dollars. Like it can't just be like, right. oh yeah, just make that happen. Right. And that's the thing. Like, yep. <laughs> and sometimes I see. Yep. They just say, okay, that. we have, like, you know, we have the position now go and do your job. 
you know and that's another thing too is that okay you need like you said you need to have a sufficient budget and then also too the role of DEI does not just lie within the DEI office it lies with everyone and so you can't just like okay I have this role now we're done no how are you effectively contributing to the change within the organization um and then the other thing too is a level of transparency a lot of people don't want to hear or see some of the issues that they have going on internally and so when it comes out of hr Mm -hmm. now you have this level of transparency um and then you're able to truly benchmark where you are and then where you're going to be in the future do you see yourself um like trying to because I know one of the things that I experienced in a previous role was like you have to understand that sometimes when you walk into an organization where nothing like that has existed before um where maybe they thought they were being inclusive and diverse but Mm -hmm. there was no real like plan for it um in a previous role that I had I realized that oh my gosh like people's understanding of number one what diversity equity inclusion is or just being aware of implicit and explicit bias was on so many different levels that like we had to take a step back and like say let's provide a baseline Mm -hmm. understanding of like one these terms but then also like provide you with a space to self-reflect to see like where you are because I think naturally no one wants to be seen as a racist no one wants to be seen as being someone who discriminates towards someone else but the reality of it is if you're not self-reflective you don't know how your you know implicit or explicit bias is operating when you're not in tune so like do you feel like or do you have a plan to provide like base level training for the professionals at the school or is that something that is, is being so worked definitely on providing way? training um that is so again going back to that whole rfp process before they had a uh, training that was very loosely based Um, And it was, you know, oh, I know this person and give awesome trainings. Now I'm really forcing um, the school to really look at who's doing the training. And then also, too, are we having other trainings uh, where we can have follow-ups? Because it's not just a one and done. So ideally, what I want to do is put a program behind it where the first part is the training. And so that will happen in the spring. And that will go from every person that's in the school, from students, administration, faculty, and staff. Um, And then hopefully my goal is to reach parents as well, because we know that parents are heavily influenced. um, They have influenced their children. And so sometimes if we can kind of change the way that some of the parents think, some of their biases biases that they think they don't have, I think ultimately it will make for a better school and community. And so I am doing training. Um, And then, you know, also making sure that we form an internal DEI task force as well. Um, And that will also contribute Mm. to the overall success of this role. So, yeah. That's awesome. That's definitely awesome. So, like, uh, along the same lines, like, in your opinion, um, how will you know that your efforts, um, the efforts of your role have been effective? Like, if you had to reflect on what you want things to look like maybe a year or two years down the line right so there's two things the first one is obviously benchmarking and doing um doing surveys as to the attitudes of every i call them our stakeholders um when we look at some of the attitudes in general of some students um more so of the students who are of color the students of color they increasingly get more disenfranchised over the years and so we have to look at as to why you know they have so much energy and so much potential 
um, their, their freshman year, but they slowly start to taper off as they get older. So we have to understand why that's the case. So of course, using data, statistics, benchmarking, um, you know, from the outside looking in, of course, you want it to be a more of a diverse um, community. I think, you know, you always want to look at statistics and percentages. But besides the benchmarking thing, the second thing is also language. There's a lot of times that we hear, not just in schools, but just in general, we hear a lot of language saying, oh, they come from scary neighborhoods or they this or they that they are having a hard time mm. they and so I think if we can change the language um that we have I think that will that will help as well um instead of saying you know for me I always say when I you know when I was going into the majority white spaces it was a scary environment for me most you know outside looking in you may say oh it's not mm-hmm. you know very nice neighborhood very nice houses whatever the case may be, but that's not what I'm used to. So we have to have those discussions as to what that truly means. So for me, it's benchmarking using statistics and data. And then the second thing is changing the language and how we view things. And that goes back to those biases that we're talking about, that training that we had spoke about earlier. Hmm. That makes sense. I mean, and I really like how you emphasize the fact that like you, it's very easy, like, you know, being someone that also works in higher education or works in education. So you definitely do see it where um, some of the previous students I worked with their freshman year or first semester, like you said, they were energetic, like the world was their oyster. They had all this promise. And then you would catch that same student the next semester or a year, you know, a year later. And they're just like, I just can't wait to be done. And, or I don't know if I'm supposed to be here. And maybe I, you know, bit off more than I can chew. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, wait, no, no, no. You deserve to be here. We need you here. Um, And how can we work together to make sure that you like truly understand that and feel that? And so much of that also goes back to how those students interact with their teachers um, and the ways in which teachers also make them feel included, like in the classroom or, you know, the ways in which they, you know, kind of, I don't know, like even in just like open discussions, um, they kind of make that student feel included in like the curriculum because you may not be able to change what the curriculum looks like, but you can always be that teacher that goes above and beyond to bring in outside information into the curriculum or lesson to make people feel like included. So like an example I'll give is, um, so I used to work with nursing students. And one of the biggest things is like when you would talk about teaching students how to recognize that somebody is um, cyanotic or like losing oxygen or has, you know, can't breathe. You're typically taught as a nurse that people turn blue. Black people don't turn blue. Like depending on your shade and hue, you, if you wait till a black person turn blue, they're dead already. Um, So some of the teachers realized that and like really said, hey, we're gonna show you other ways to recognize that a person of color has you know um, a lack of oxygen because we recognize that this is something that was put out there in the curriculum but was only considering you know one type of person so I just I don't know I think like you said it's important to kind of look at all the different levels that play a part into making students of colors color feel like disenfranchised in environments and stuff like that and attacking it from all different levels because it's not it and it's not one person's one area. role and responsibility so. too yeah Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, that's a good point because like you said, a lot of times organizations will get 
a DEI professional and say like, well, we did our job and that's it. And it's like, no, 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 it's a collective effort. And if it, if it doesn't become a collective effort, we will literally go five steps forward to move 10 steps back. So along the lines of the election, um, do you feel that this year's election will have an impact on the future emphasis of diversity and equity efforts um, in businesses and systems of education? So I think that for this year's election, I mean, there's so many things we can say about this year's election as well. Um, But I think that, um, you know, it definitely will have an impact on DEI efforts. I mean, we even see it right now being played out because, like you said, tensions that are at an all-time high. There's so many things that are happening from a racial injustice lens, and it's really forcing organizations to look at their practices um but i think after the election again like anything else that may die down and so those businesses that are really you know may statements said juneteenth was a holiday making sure that they're looking at their policies and procedures i think after the election we'll really see our businesses really changing their habits are they really looking at you know um their their systems and in the way that they do things so i think you know again we can't evaluate things off the election but post-election that's when we'll truly start to see if any organizations are making changes i definitely i definitely agree like it's interesting because like you said like unfortunately um the current administration has really highlighted a lot of the divides in this country and i think you know, it's been going on, obviously, since this administration started. But I think in the last, you know, six to eight months to a year, it's gotten so heightened that people, I think people who were not Mm -hmm. originally uncomfortable started to get uncomfortable and were like, oh my gosh, we gotta, you know, we gotta do something. And hence the, you know, the creation of these roles, you know, the statements that we see that are put out there. I mean, just even, you know, I think what is really one of the biggest things that I paid attention to, which I was like, oh, wow, this is interesting, mm-hmm. was when the NFL finally made a statement because we know the struggle mm-hmm. of Colin Kaepernick for so long and how he right. was pretty much just like blackballed from the industry. And for them to come around and finally make a statement and to, you know, be doing things that are like, hey, we just want to let you know that we're on board. It's just like, wow, was it finally that either enough you know players were like this is ridiculous or was it that this the situations that have played out in our country finally made people at the upper levels of the NFL like uncomfortable themselves and was like oh no we like I don't want to be on this side of the story right and I think also too though a lot of it has to do with money and the dollar and the bottom line a lot of organizations realize like you said earlier like our our dollars matter and so I think they started to see some effects when it comes to to money I mean when the Milwaukee Bucks walked out um and didn't even come on the court um, early on in the playoffs because of what they saw um, you know happening and playing out right in their home or right around their hometown I think that's when or, uh, sports teams really thought like wow you know they have power we have power and so that's where we saw the statements but I really am mm-hmm. hoping that some of this uh, the talk kind of changed I mean stays the same you know everyone is energized Black Lives Matter we see it posted everywhere but we'll really start to see once the world truly open up does black lives truly matter yeah definitely agree with that one 
So what advice would you give to someone who is aspiring to work in like the field of diversity? So I would say um, someone who is working in this space, um, number one, again, you're you're not alone. You're not the only one. Make sure that if you're in this space, um, that you are making sure that DEI is something that is um, a responsibility of everyone and not just the one person. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, I would say is... Um, you know, make sure that your mental health is also uh, one of your top priorities because being in this work, especially for me personally as a black woman, it can get very heavy because you're not, you don't have the ability to move in and out of the space um, as some people may be able to um, because, you know, your work is working with people of color, working with, um, you know, people to make sure that there's uh, equity and inclusive practices. But then as soon as you leave, you know, your work day, you're still a black woman who are still enduring some of these same things that you're preaching about. So mental health is very important. Mm -hmm. Um, For me, I, I, you know, I watch Netflix a lot. Um, I watch Netflix. I also you know, make sure that I have time where I spend with my friends, whether it's FaceTime or whatnot, um, where we don't talk about our workday. We just talk about maybe, you know, for, I know the other day, my friend and I we were talking about Megan Thee Stallion. Like, there's just things that you just have to, you have to take time for yourself. <laughs> or for me too, you know, I like to just relax, have a, like a hot bubble bath with a candle and just listen to music and, and relax. So, Mental health is very important when you're in this space because, again, you don't necessarily have the ability to step in and out, um, like I said, um, like most people. So that's the advice that I would that I would give. But you're not in the fight alone either. That's awesome. Like, so along the same lines, um, why does representation in like the education system. So private schools, traditionally private private schools schools have been, um, you know, elite private schools have been a place where people feel like they can't necessarily touch. It's a, oh, that's for them and not for me type thing. And so representation completely matters. Even at the school that I'm in, um, we have students who are students of color who literally my first week came up to me and they said, if it wasn't COVID, we would give you a hug because we're just so happy that you're here. And it literally changed their whole attitude. We had, I had another girl who came up to me who is writing a college essay about her hair and her hair is 4C. And so she's like, I know you understand what this means and what I'm trying Mm. to convey. Can you help me with my college essay? And so that's really important. Representation matters. If you feel, if you see someone that looks like you, you get a little bit more energized to go throughout your day. We talk about the disenfranchisement of students. And so this is one of the things as well. Um, But then it also says that, you know, I belong here, you know, give you some type of backing and some validity um, to that space. So I think it's really important to have representation, um, especially in private schools, because also, too, you have something to say. You're again, we talk about education and what does diversity kind of allude itself to that critical thinking, those cognitive skills, those things that you need when you're, um, you know, going into the real world. And so obviously you have a you have something to say you belong there and so that's why you know representation matters yeah i mean that's dope about the the college essay like that like super dope like i met um a woman a couple of years ago who was actually Mm -hmm. doing her phd around black women in hair and i just thought it was so amazing because people don't realize how 
how deeply rooted and ingrained uh, a black woman's hair is in their identity and the struggles that you go through as a black woman um, when you're trying to decide professionally, mm-hmm. like, what do I do? Like, do I do I straighten it? Do I keep it the way it is? Is that going to, you know, um, decrease my opportunities and chances in the space if I choose to wear my hair this way versus that way? You know, the microaggressions that you might have to deal with in a workspace because of the way your hair right. naturally is. Um, that's that's super dope, super dope. So hashtag um, dear future social worker, but diversity, equity, and inclusion edition. What would you say to your colleagues or your peers who are currently working? Um, in I would say that you know this this role is new for most organizations. Um, some organizations have had a role like this for a very long time. Um, but I would say, you know, when you're in this space, make it your own as well. Um, it's very, it lends itself to a lot of innovation, um, especially the way that we as adults kind of take in information. Um, and I think that at our core as humans, we want to do the right thing. We want to be on the side of right. Um, and so for someone who's in this position, I definitely say be innovative, um, be creative, um, but then also to um you know, at the end of the day, you're going to have someone who is going to be your ally and be excited about this. And so that the energy is contagious. Always bring your best. Always have that energy because you never know who you may influence or who's looking at you. So um, someone who's in this space, again, you know, it, own it. That's what I'm going to say. Just own it. Mm. All right. So I normally like to end on a higher note because sometimes these topics can get you know a little weighty and I like to send people off a little light um so we're gonna move into just talking about like social life and social light um as a social worker I refer to myself as a social worker and sometimes (laughs) socialite because I do like to get out and party um Mm -hmm. but COVID has changed so much of that So what's one thing that you missed the most when um, your state went on lockdown? I would say the one thing I missed the most is traveling. <laughs> I I love to travel, even if it's just, yeah. you know, across the state, up to Canada, to our neighbors, whatever the case may be, like, I love to travel. And so when we went on lockdown, that took away, again, some of my mental health that we talk about. And so just trying to find other ways to kind of combat that. But I, I miss traveling for sure. I can definitely co-sign that. I also like to travel a lot. And I just felt like, you know, I very much respect, you know, Governor Cuomo. But it was so weird to feel like you were in a position in life where you had to ask permission to, like, do anything. And it was just like, wait, wait, where do I live right now? Like, what country is this? Because it just, it felt so not the norm, Um, which it wasn't. And I get the safety reasons. But yeah, like... Travel definitely is a big part of my mental health, and it it was Mm -hmm. hard. Like, the past Mm -hmm. few months have been really, really hard. (laughs) So, if we ever get to, I guess, a new normal, because I don't think anything will ever go back to what it was before, um, what's, like, the first thing you're like, I can't wait to do this when things... Um, So, before all this happened, I wanted to go back to Africa. And so, and I would say go back to Africa, but to go to Africa. Mm. And, um, and so I think that's the first thing I'm gonna do is probably book an international trip. And cause you never know, things may get shut down again, who knows, but to, um, you know, I want to book an international trip when we can. Um, that was probably be the first thing that I do once all this is over. 
I definitely <laughs> concur with that. You gotta let me know how that goes. <laughs> so if you have one, what is your favorite like fall sort of like social pastime? Like if, if you have one, like, there's something you like, I can't wait for um, fall to do. So blah, blah, outside blah. of July, October is, is actually my favorite month. And I do like to watch a lot of scary movies. That's my thing. That's my favorite genre. Um, But also, too, one thing that my friends and I decided to do this year is we typically go apple picking anyways, but we're going to have an apple bake-off. So whoever has the best apple dish, um, you know, I don't know what the prize is going to be, but it's just something fun um, and creative and innovative since we can't really do much. Um, So apple picking, I definitely enjoy um, every year, but now we're doing one step further further and figuring out who has the best apple dish i don't know if i'm gonna win because i have some great cooks who are friends but and bakers but we'll see (laughs) yeah that sounds really really fun like super fun (laughs) okay so last but not least if you were i don't know say you are preparing to go on a trip (laughs) like you know uncle cuomo says that we can go places again what is like your one like go-to fall fashion item that you're like if i don't have this i don't feel like um, fall oh I that's a good question it. i think oversized um sweaters i love oversized sweaters and i love a good like boot heel like a booty but an actual like a true heel to it i don't know i feel like if i don't have like a, a good booty with a heel mm-hmm. at least like four inch heels then yeah i don't feel like myself but then also to an oversized hoodie like i've been really searching for them because quality has been down i don't know why but i like a good oversized hoodie and a good heel that's me comfort wear yes mm, that's nice comfort wear fall is definitely comfort wear well that was my last question thank you so much for taking the time out to um join us today and for being so transparent when it came to discussing like what you're currently doing um in dei spaces and things like that um if people wanted to connect with you or find you where um, can they so you, you can find me on facebook and on instagram um facebook is kendra brim instagram is savannah underscore k savannah is my my middle name and i actually love my middle name more so than my first name but it's savannah k s-a-v-a-n-n-a-h <laughs> underscore k k-a-y um so you can find me on there as well as linkedin which is just kendra brim Oh, yeah. So my friend and Make I... Make sure you um, plug your Kua, podcast, too. We call it Kua for short. Um, we have a new um, podcast called the Black Gems Dive-In Podcast. Um, and so we are on all streaming um, platforms. And then we're also on Facebook as Black Gems Dive-In Podcast. And then Instagram and Twitter as just Black Gems Dive-In. Well, that's it for this week's episode of the atypical social worker podcast thank you so much for joining your girl lola love for yet another week and remember authenticity leads to diversity remember to always bring your full and complete self to work because your experiences matter they diversify the field and also add to the voices of advocacy for the people that we support and also don't forget to get out there and network your butt off Networking is a very underutilized tool at times, but it literally can be the lifeline of the helping community. Um, People that have been in the game for a long time have a lot to offer, 
just like people who are new to the social work field also have a lot to offer because the world is continuously changing. Also, remember that you are going to make mistakes. So networking is a great way to learn and grow from the mistakes that we are all going to make in the field. Definitely connect yourself with people who have made mistakes and aren't afraid to talk about the mistakes that they made and how they overcame those mistakes. So again, be yourself, do you, and the field will be all the more better because of it. So until next week, stay atypical yet intentional. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at atypical underscore social underscore worker underscore podcast and check out the website at www.atypicalsocialworker.com. Love, peace, and see you next week.